Hello, and welcome to Wes and Conversations about the films of Wes Anderson, a proud member of the Smug Buds family of podcasts. This is episode one, which I am calling Poddle Rockcast. <laughs> At this time, I would like to thank uh, the hosts of Blank Check, Griffin and Newman, and Griffin Newman and David Sims, for uh, their their podcasting inspiration, and uh, apologize for for any uh, uh, ripping off that we may do. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is uh, yeah, this is where it begins and ends. I'm not going to do the quotes thing. I think you've lis- listened to Blank Check just enough to know that Griffin always starts with a quote from the movie. Yeah. And uh, I'm not going to do that. And we're not going to do the box office game. Mm-hmm. We're just going to talk about a film by a director. And we're going to keep doing that for a while. Mm-hmm. And also, I'm going to do the pun thing. <laughs> uh, my name is uh, Will. I'm one of your hosts. And I'm joined by the other host, Liz. Hi, Liz. Hi, Will. It's me, Elizabeth Deanna Morris Lakes, your pod it's, husband. It's been so long. It's been a while. It is uh, the beginning of autumn when we're releasing this, and it's just a couple of weeks prior to that when we're recording it. And uh, so it's season five, and it's September, and how have you been? Um. <laughs> that, that good, huh? Um, I'm okay today. Um, I know we've discussed my seasonal affective disorder previously. <laughs> It feels like it's all we've discussed. <laughs> um, yeah, I. It, it's been rough. It's been a rough couple weeks. I hear you. Yeah. August twenty first is when I start to uh, drop again. You're 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 still in the northeast of the United States, so yeah. you're in a part of the world where the uh, season is changing uh, unfavorably for for you. Yes. Um. So yeah, it's just been it's been it's been rough and I think we're both I think Kenny I think it's like one of those things and I'm sure you've you've experienced this too and I'm sure everybody has during this this quarantine. I mean maybe not where things sort of level out for a while and you get used to them. Mhm. And then you sort of like drop off a and before plateauing at a lower spot again. Right. Yes. <laughs> and that's exactly how my seasonal affective disorder is too, which is that I will drop and have like a really hard couple of days and then I sort of plateau for a while. Uh-huh. Um, I'm at a plateau right now, so that's okay. It's also been cloudy for the past five days. With a chance of meatballs? Unfortunately, no. <laughs> that's a shame. <laughs> um, but, you know, Elliot's still in daycare, which is a, a blessing. I, Kenny and I are still not sick. Neither of us have any chance of going back to the office anytime soon. Yep. Um. So we're feeling very lucky, and um, we did hypothetically when this comes out, we will both uh, or a little Elliot and I will have new beds. Elliot's mm-hmm. bed is here. My frame is here, which you can probably see in the side of my screen. Yeah, I but do. Did did your uh, producer Dana tell you what yes. happened? Yes, the the company which I believe we recommended to you. Yes, which which is a I mean I laid on the mattress they sent me and it is the mattress I want. So, except it is the wrong size. 
They sent us a queen. We ordered a king. Right. Did you get the same frame that we have as well or just a similar one? Because it looks remarkably similar to the one we it's have. It's a platform frame and I don't think it's the same one because I think Dana sent that to me. Um, it's a different – It's one, I got it from overstock.com and Elliot and I actually okay. have the same frame but ours is called like Southern Oak and his is like burnt driftwood. So his sure. is gray and ours light is like a brown gray. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But yeah, they sent us – it said king. Yeah. I ordered a king. I opened it up and we put it on the frame and I said, this is too small. And I thought surely I was the one who had screwed it up. But when I messaged the company, they were like, oh, yeah, um, we've been having this issue where we mislabeled boxes. Oh, so no. To solve the problem, it's like so complicated because yeah. also the day that it came, FedEx left the box at the bottom of the stairs. Okay. Which I live on the third floor. Yeah. Not convenient. Not convenient. Also, not their job. Their job is to bring it to my door. Right. They Oh, and they were the dude was so sneaky because I've actually talked to somebody twice now from FedEx because they called to follow up, if you'll believe that, believe that. No. The the dude it said that it was left at door. Mm-hmm. Or left at front door. Yep. And w- when she called to follow up, she was like, Where did he leave it again? I was like, Well, and I explained sort of how, you know, I live in a building and there's the the lobby. And I was like, he left it in the lobby. And she was like Huh, he said he left it at the front door. I was like, I mean, he might have been trying to be sneaky and saying that he left it at the front door of the building. It doesn't specify mm-hmm. specify which front door. So that happened. Then it was the wrong mattress. Then to get the mattress that they sent us out of our apartment, they sent a company that picks up mattresses and other large mm-hmm. things to come right. pick it up. So that happened Friday. We're going camping next week. And so... They can't even ship the new mattress yet because if they were to ship it, um, it would come when we were camping. <laughs> right. So hopefully by my birthday, I will be, and when this podcast comes out, I will be sleeping in my new king bed. Yeah. You and Elliot have a, a birthday coming up at the end of the month. We do. At the time people, other people are hearing this, it's it's very soon. At mm-hmm. the time we're talking about it, it's rather soon. Yeah. I'll be uh, 32 and he will be four. Wow. Yeah. Beautiful. How are you, Will? How's how's your life? Uh, you know, it's um, pretty much the same. Uh, we're, you know, uh, still working our same jobs. Uh, we're in the same <clears throat> new house that we uh, talked about last time we spoke in the uh, season four mailbag special. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, there's not much new to report that I can think of. Good. Congratulations. uh, Nothing bad has happened. I guess, uh, if, if there's a milestone in any of this, it's, uh, we're, we're six months into quarantining, right? Mm -hmm. Because we all started in early to mid March. Yep. And now it's uh, early to mid-September, so that's six months. And that, I just like to, that that feels to me like a good enough reason to do what we're doing now. Yes. To be like, all right, let's just rip the Band-Aid off. It's mm-hmm. a new season of the podcast. It's what we wanted to do, even though we can't do it for the reason we wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I just like to... 
spin those little narratives in my mind where it's just like, okay, any excuse to like yeah. justif- justify <laughs> what I'm doing. Oh, it's it's the six month mark. Oh, okay, that's I will I will assign that meaning in the form of associating it with this uh, activity. I actually, I really like doing things like that. My grandfather always would make things seem really important. And looking back, I realize now that they weren't really important, but he just mm-hmm. went out of his way to make them seem important. But that was his way of making them special. Does that yeah. make sense? Sure. Um, Like, you know, he'd be like, we need to have a family meeting. And then... I'd be like, ugh, and I'd like roll my, but then like it would be like he he's like, we need to review your report card, <laughs> and then he'd give us money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yes, I I'm all about. Um, a couple of weeks ago, it was a cool rainy day, which was this was in you know this was in August when even you know it wasn't nearly as hot as out there, but it was mm-hmm. you know getting into the 90s every day. Yeah. And very humid. And it was a weird day where it was raining. And I kept saying to Kenny, Kenny, tomorrow is going to be a hot coffee day. Mm, And then mm -hmm. like the morning of, I was like, it's it's here. It's raining outside. It's time for hot coffee. And he was just like, what are you talking about? (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. So uh, do you want to lay some foundation since this is the first first one? I know we talked about it on the mailbag, but. Yeah. No, I think the the other the the sort of the transition that I make want to make from what we were just speaking of to the groundwork that I want to lay is that the other little narrative that I've spun in my head is that Wes Anderson movies are autumn movies. Yeah, I is, is, I feel that do you, way. Do you agree with that? Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's it's only fitting, even though the new one was supposed to come out in June originally. Uh, it's 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 only fitting in a backwards backdoor kind of a way mm-hmm. that uh, yeah as as it's the beginning of autumn we should we should start reflecting on the filmography of Wes Anderson yeah and the one movie that is and this is not what we're talking about today but like Fantastic Mr Fox is like what I think of as my um October first movie yes right absolutely. It, it all of these movies have uh sort of a a deliberate color scheme mm-hmm. right but it it i think it never stands out more than in fantastic mr fox which in my memory and my imagination of it is just a completely orange movie it's 100% orange <laughs> and glowing all of the right. time mm-hmm. right yeah. absolutely um does this movie so we're going to we're talking about bottle rocket mm-hmm. The first feature film of Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Does this movie have a color scheme? No, not really. D- yeah. So I mean, gray. Right. So so part of what I want to say is like, it's all there. Like all yes. the Wes Anderson stuff that we know, it is there. It's just more subtle because he doesn't. It's not fully formed and and doesn't have all the resources behind it that that he would get in the future. Um, but I guess it's I I guess if we can't really, you know, maybe it's not a hundred percent there, but maybe it's like seventy five percent there. Yeah, um, I think that the the one thing, I, I mean, and you know, we'll talk about this as we go on more. But I think the one thing that this movie lacks, compared to all of his other movies, in terms of the Wes Andersonness of it, 
is mm-hmm. the precision, both in the yeah. camera work, but but part of that is the color, like the lack of color scheme, the lack of aesthetic. The yeah, the lack of sort of uniformity or like cohesiveness mm-hmm. of visuals, and that includes both the things that are in the shot and the way that they're shot. Yeah, and also the way they're arranged, but. Mm-hmm. If I say a third thing, then I shouldn't have started by saying both. So I <laughs> hesitated there. Um, so uh, what do we know about Wes Anderson? Who is this guy? Well, I went on Wikipedia. <laughs> and it turns out that he is from Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, later, a transplant to New York. Yes, very obviously. And now he lives in Paris. He does? Yes. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> well, all all of it sort of makes sense, yeah. right? Like, it very much makes sense that in, like, a David Sedaris kind of a way that he would be, like, an expat in Paris. Yeah. It also makes sense that he would be a New York City guy mm-hmm. over being a Los Angeles guy. Yeah. For example. Mm-hmm. And also, in a, like, dig a little bit deeper kind of a way beyond the surface, in a way I don't know how to describe or articulate, it makes sense to me that he's from Texas. No, it makes complete sense to me that he's from Texas. He and the other people who we have to talk about who are the Wilson brothers. Mm -hmm. And the third Wilson twin. Yes, exactly. The, who I like to call the third Owen Wilson brother. Yes, yes. And I like to call him the third Wilson twin. Yes. Which is funny because they're not twins. Right. To begin with. Right. Uh, and uh, they all met in Texas mm-hmm. in college mm-hmm. at University of Texas, Austin. Yeah, specifically Owen Wilson met Wes Anderson first. And they became best friends. And they became artistic collaborators and they co-wrote Bottle Rocket. Mm -hmm. First, they made a short film in black and white called Bottle Rocket, which got into Sundance. Wow. And then it was off to the races. And then Hollywood producers got involved. Mm -hmm. And the studio, Columbia Pictures got involved and uh, they made a feature film also called Bottle Rocket mm-hmm. based on the short film, which by the way, I haven't watched the short film. I assume you haven't either. I have not. We're going to watch it later probably uh, and talk about it in the final episode. For this, we watched the feature film. I watched it for the first time a few days ago. It was, you know, Obviously, not counting the new one, which hasn't been released yet. Mm-hmm. This is the last Wes Anderson film that I had never seen. Yeah, it it was, yeah. And 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 what about you and this film? How how and when and why had you seen it? So I watched it um, sometime in college or like right after college, because it was on Netflix for a long time. Uh huh. And I remember knowing that there were Wes Anderson movies I hadn't seen. And so I sort of searched Wes Anderson and right. I was like, okay. And then I looked it up on Wikipedia. Um, and then I had not seen it again. I watched it two weeks ago or three weeks ago, maybe. 
um, Kenny got it for me from the library when the library opened up. Actually, mm-hmm. I think I might have mentioned this on the mailbag. I definitely have mentioned it to you, but um, I had put a bunch of movies on hold right before everything shut down. And so <laughs> when when uh, the library reopened and Kenny's been going like weekly to drop stuff off and pick stuff up, um, yeah. he got me like four Wes Anderson movies all at once <laughs> uh-huh, <laughs> because right. they had been on hold for like four months or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then I watched it again today. I uh, I actually paid money to rent it to watch it again because I wanted to make sure. Because I have trouble – something we'll talk about with this is that I have trouble um, with the plot of this movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> because I always forget what the fuck is happening. It's and so I was like, a- I need to watch this again or I'm not going to be able to talk about it in a useful way. Here's one of the paradoxes of this movie, in my opinion, which is that it's not a plot-heavy movie which suggests that it is a character-driven movie. Yeah. However, the paradox being, I don't think there's a lot to these characters. No. Yeah. And so so, so despite being character-driven more than plot-driven, there, there's uh, not very interesting three-dimensional characters. Yeah. Driving the movie. Um, so... You have seen this film, it sounds like, three times, twice recently. Yes. Did I get that right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, uh, un- so where you have been sort of like preparing for the past few months, watching and rewatching these films, I, I've i been intentionally waiting until we're, re- we're about to record. Mm-hmm. So I just watched this a few days ago. That's at beginning and the end of the story. First mm-hmm. time I'd ever seen it. And I did have to rent it and that uh you know chafes a little bit, but <laughs> you do you do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Uh and I, you know, under different circumstances I would have rented it from my local video store, which is a real thing that still exists. Yeah. Uh uh where I live, but uh not not going to not going to make the trip for for that. I am I'm renting movies the uh, the new fashioned way, which again, it, ch- it chafes even, even more. But what are you going to do? Yeah, especially it especially hurts that. Like, did you rent it on Amazon? Yes, that's that's yeah, that's what it's, I was implying or meant to imply. Yes, it's like 24. It's like you have 24 hours. Like when you re- used to rent stuff from the movie theater, you had like a week. Rent stuff from the movie theater? I mean, from the, the movie store. Yeah. Like the blockbuster or equivalent. But I think, um, I see, I've never had to test this because I always just rent something when I'm about to watch it uh-huh. and then I watch it and then I'm done with that purchase. Yeah. But I think the way that it works is from the time that you pay them, you have like 30 days to start the movie. Yes, this is true. And then once you start the movie, you have 48, I think it's 48 hours. So the problem- To watch it as many times as you want. I think it's sometimes 24. Okay. I think I've usually seen 48, but you you may be just as right or even more right than I am. The, the reason I bring this up is because when we watch movies with Elliot, we uh-huh. only watch them 20 or 30 minutes at a time because- right. He's a child. Yes. <laughs> so, like, he really wanted to watch Paddington. Sure. 
he was like, which I didn't know about Paddington, but I guess there's a TV show now that he's been watching at daycare. So he oh. wanted to watch Paddington, the movie, when he saw it. Yeah. He's like, that's Paddington. We were like, what? He, uh-huh. said, he said, see that hat? There's a sandwich under there. And Kenny and I, <laughs> for, let me tell you, there was, this might have been the most delightful moment I've ever had in my life. To know that Paddington was a bear, but to know nothing about him, and then to learn from my own child that yes. Paddington bears one of his quirks is that he keeps a sandwich under his hat. He taught you something. <laughs> That's very special. It's the first of many times. I was like, Elliot, what does Paddington do? He's like, he's with Mr. Brown and other people. <laughs> mm-hmm. The lessons, they just keep coming. <laughs> That's fantastic. So yeah, this this is my problem with this. So like when we watched Paddington, mm-hmm. we had to watch it all in one sitting. Or yeah, or rent it twice. Yeah, which right. or yeah, not happening. Right, exactly. Um so, so yeah, so what I I want to know your first impressions. Well, I mean, basically, uh if I I, I, I like I like to start by putting a number on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I think I was already doing this before Letterboxd, but now that Letterboxd is in my life, I'm I'm I can't help but do this. Mm-hmm. Try to categorize it, rate it, rank it. You know, put that star value number on it. Um, I think that this movie is like a three out of five. I I think that this is a three star movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's like just. Uh, just above the threshold of like, I liked it a little bit more than I didn't like it. Yes. Um, I think that it has some great winning moments Mm -hmm. to it, but it also has some flaws that drag it down. Mm -hmm. And overall, it's like kind of not a great movie. Mm -hmm. However... I feel I can also try and look at it through the lens of... 1996 or 1997. Yes, imagine being in 1996 when this movie came out and it's the first feature, not only for Wes Anderson, but the first time anyone's ever seen Owen Wilson or Luke Wilson. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine... Not loving the movie, but at least thinking, well, what a what a promising first feature. Yeah. Like for this writer, for this director, for these two stars, I can see a lot of potential here mm-hmm. for better things to come. Um, but I but I don't have the benefit of that perspective. Yeah. Um, from from the retrospective perspective. It's like kind of a it's kind of a worthless movie, except as this like historical object. Yeah, that's what I was that gonna you, say. That you view once and mm-hmm. then it's like, okay, I have that in my in my uh background, you know. It also like I I just wanna say I hate Owen Wilson with short hair. I hate him <laughs> the whole movie in short hair. They make jokes about both of their hair hair, which is one of those jokes that's like really funny to me going forward at one point owen wilson's character dignan is like talking to his to luke wilson his brother but not in the movie anthony his character's name is anthony and he's like you have to cut your hair and luke's like no it's not happening 
And he's like, you need to do it. And, you know, we're on the lam. You need to cut your hair so that we can, we aren't going to be recognized by police. There's another point in the movie where someone says to Owen Wilson's character, are you in the army? He goes, no, Assumes I just have. He sh- must be in the army. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is They're funny. Like, yeah. Because then Luke Wilson has short hair basically for the rest of his career. And Owen Wilson has long hair for the rest of his career. That's a funny flip-flop. I hadn't even really thought about that. That's what makes those jokes so funny to me now. (laughs) Okay, here's what makes them funny to me. Okay. This is the lens that I was looking through when I saw their hair. I thought, okay, Luke Wilson is the main character. Mm -hmm. The starting point for the hair in this movie is that Luke Wilson has Wes Anderson's haircut. Ah, I don't know, actually, you know, now I have to second guess what I'm saying Uh because I watched some interviews and some behind the scenes stuff on YouTube and I can't actually say with confidence that that was Wes Wes Anderson's haircut at the time. Yeah. He might have actually had shorter, more normal, excuse me, hair at that time. But the Wes Anderson that we know in 2020 Mm -hmm. Has a haircut like Owen, like Luke Wilson has in this movie. Yes, and so I think of that as the starting point, and then for contrast, Owen Wilson has the opposite hair. He has yeah. very short, light colored hair as yeah. opposed to Luke Wilson's Wes Anderson hair. I also, um, I also just can't get over. I feel like, I feel like. Wes Anderson must have been like, I hit the jackpot, baby. I'm best friends with these two brothers that look nothing a fucking like. <laughs> yes, yeah, three, three brothers. Three brothers, yeah. So, so I can okay. just cast them as not brothers in this movie and no one will ever think of it that way. <laughs> Except for me now because right. we know them both and I think of them only as brothers that we get to see interact with each other, which I think is a delight. Yes. Okay. So I want to talk about this. We have to talk about this. So real quick, before we move on from the hair, I just want to add to my interpretation that what I was also bringing to it was I have seen people online make jokes about how the lead in every Christopher Nolan movie has Christopher Nolan's haircut. (laughs) And so I watched this movie and I was like, oh, no, Wes Anderson's doing the Christopher Nolan thing to Mm -hmm. Luke Wilson. Okay, now moving on Wait, to... Wait, sorry. I, I have one more thing to say about the hair. Please. Let's just talk about their hair. Okay. So, like I said, I hate Owen Wilson's short hair. Right. Luke Wilson has never looked more beautiful, and I'm so sorry he peaked at like 25 or whatever. His hair is beautiful. He looks... His face is beautiful. He's like sort of muscly, but only a little bit. Has he ever looked more beautiful than he looks in that blue t-shirt with the pocket? No. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's fair <laughs> enough. I might I might feel differently when I rewatch Royal Tannenbaums. I just I have a feeling that I'm going to vibe more with the Luke Wilson looks in that film, but I I I, I hear you and I'm not arguing. Do we get to see him without a shirt in the Royal Tannenbaums? I don't think so. I, I don't remember. Cuz we get to I see mean, him without a shirt in this movie, baby, and it is great. <laughs> that's true. That's true. I can't I can't deny that. Okay, so Brothers. I was going to say about them being brothers. Yes. Okay. So again, we're going to talk about perspective and, mm-hmm. and bias. I cannot wipe the slate clean. I, I cannot put it out of my mind 
what I know about these two people, you know, that they are famous actor brothers. Yes. However, with that knowledge and that the bias that's created by that knowledge and even trying, actively trying to minimize that bias as much as possible, Mm -hmm. I think that they are brothers in real life and that they are playing friends in this movie Mm -hmm. is fundamentally wrong. (laughs) What do you mean? That's my tip. So like, I'm going to, we're going to say a number of different things about this movie. But if, 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 if there's one thing that I want to label as like my takeaway, Uh this is, this is the opinion that colors the whole movie and colors my whole viewing of it and every other opinion that I have about the film. Mm -hmm. And my opinion is, even though they have different colored hair, Mm -hmm. they they both have weird voices (laughs) that are just alike. And it fundamentally does not make sense Mm -hmm. to present these two people (laughs) who who sound the same but weird. Yeah, yeah, no. It's like a weird. It's like a weird Texan accent that like isn't exactly Texan. Yeah, yeah. They both. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Owen Wilson sounds way weirder than Luke Wilson. You know that to be true. Sure. Yes. Fair enough. But. I think when you put them in the same movie together, it invites the comparison. Yeah. Well, I and think- then, of course, when other Wilson brother shows up who looks nothing. Because the thing is, is like nothing Luke Wilson like and Owen Wilson, you can sort of do the math in your head. You can like straighten sure. Owen Wilson's nose and make right. it a little Unbreak bit thicker. His nose. Yep. And you can, you can, you can imagine it. His, their brother shows up who looks like, if you see, like, sort of more recent pictures of his brother when he has, like, really long hair and a beard, he almost looks like Jason Momoa-y. Yes, he does have, yeah, he he has that big, beefy guy look. And yes. he's really tall, too. He also looks nothing like them. But the moment he talks, you're like, oh. Yes. I think <laughs> knowing, you know, Andrew Wilson has been so, you know, out of the spotlight that if you put him in a film... I will not automatically immediately think, oh, that must be a Wilson brother. He sounds just like Owen Wilson. Yeah. But knowing that he's a Wilson brother and then hearing his voice, it is easy to make the connection. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying about Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson, who are the stars of this movie together. Of course. Is that I think, and I can't claim this for a fact because there's no way... To erase the bias. Mm-hmm. But I claim that in theory, I think if I watch this movie not knowing who they were, mm-hmm. I think I would key into these two people sound weirdly alike. <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Uh huh. And therefore, it seems like a failure. Uh, that they are just playing two friends who are not supposed to be related to one another. Yeah. I think that's weird. 
Yeah, I. Why I, not just have them be brothers? Well, and I, I think I was thinking that too because I actually had to look up earlier. I was like, they're not brothers, right? Like they're not playing brothers. The characters because they are not might brothers. as well be because we don't really see their families. We sort no. of see Luke Wilson's sister. We see her in one scene. Um, we don't know. We don't know anything about Dignan's family except we can infer that they are probably poorer or yeah. and or less in the picture. Yes. By by the dialogue that they have about the fact that they robbed, Anth is it Anthony? Anthony's house. They they robbed Anthony's mother's house and not Dignan's mother's house. Yes. Yeah, and then, and I, I don't mean to skip. I'm I'm only bringing this up so that we remember to mention it when we get to Royal Tenenbaums. But they do the same thing where in Royal Tenenbaums, there's three siblings. And Owen Wilson mm-hmm. is not one of them for some reason. Right. He's a yes. friend again. Again, yes. That to me, we'll talk about it when we get there. But yeah. that to me feels like having fun. Yes. In like in like a in in an almost meta way. Yeah. Where it's almost winking at the audience. This one though, the I mean, yeah, they really are the ones that are always on screen and always there. And so, Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. Real quick, just to, I just want to frame him, uh, going back to blank check for a moment. Mm-hmm. I was reminded recently because I watched a YouTube video. I guess I, I got to put this in the show notes now. There's this guy on YouTube who he's done this a couple of times. He takes some audio from blank check and he makes like a video essay mm-hmm. out of the clips. And one of them is about... Tim Burton making Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Mm -hmm. And they talk in that episode about how Tim Burton is sort of like baby's first auteur, right? Mm -hmm. He's the first person when you're a young moviegoer where you recognize and you can connect the dots. Okay, this style is so distinctive that not only do I recognize that the same person is behind the wheel, yeah. But but for the first time <laughs> I have a sense of like what a director does. Like mm-hmm. you have this you, for the first time you have a sense of like what it means for one guy to be the director yeah. of of multiple different films mm-hmm. and you're connecting those dots for the first time. Wes Anderson is the same way. Yeah. Wes Anderson and Tim Burton both perfectly sort of fit in that bucket of like they are auteurs their style is so distinctive Mm -hmm. and i had this experience and i'm guessing you probably had it or similar experience as well whereas where it's like it is it's sort of like a gateway yeah to to connecting those dots for the Mm -hmm. first time and being like oh okay i'm interested in the films of this director Mm -hmm. rather than the films of this actor or the films of this genre, or even the films of this writer, which yeah. I think I was I was more interested in and aware of that before I was in directors and mm-hmm. who was the director. So, uh, so now, okay, I will transition from that into what I was saying before about what is in this movie that we recognize as a Wes yes. Anderson thing, and, I have and what's not a list. Go for it. Great. Take the reins. Okay. So we don't, we only get it 
maybe one time and mm-hmm. it's the sloppiest we'll ever see it huh. but the shot of video of text on paper yes right the 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 text not only is it the text only shot but it's in the font right yes the font is the Wes Anderson font that we recognize from the other movies oh wait what are you talking about maybe it happens twice then oh i'm thinking of the title Oh, I was talking about um, when they're looking at the notebook mm, uh, in, uh, on the which, bus. Oh, oh, right, right, right. The plan, the the seventy five yes. year plan. Yes. Right. Okay. Yes, I forgot about that part. Um, I wrote, "Dude loves a heist," and I I'm gonna well, expand yes. this to like secret mission when we because I'm gonna try to count how many heists there are. Yes, and another good word that I want to introduce, which might be a synonym for heist, or it might be a slightly different thing, yeah. is, is caper. Caper, yes, caper. Right. Dude loves a caper. And in right. this in this movie, it is specifically a heist. But yes, caper is the movie, the word that we need, because I want to keep a count. Yes. At the end you, of this movie, heist count or caper count is three. Yes, I agree. Um, he loves to see we get this in one scene. I mean this is like, you know, one of the things where it's like a it's like a seed. He loves to mm-hmm. see kids who act like adults. Sure. Um he loves people who are very deadpan talking about their trauma and you can't actually tell how bad it is. Yeah, yeah. Um there that's there's just like a little glimpse of that in this movie. Yeah. That's that's not a in my viewing of the film, that's not a big part of it. But you're right. Oh, it's it not is a big there. part of it. It's it is just there. like the first time that it shows it's up. It's there. Yes. Right. Um, you said seed. That's... Dude loves funny names. Sure. Yeah. I didn't think of that one, but that's true as well. Yeah. Applejack. Yes. And what's that other dude's name? Uh, well, like they call um, Bob Maplethorpe's I mean, brother Future Man. Future Man. Yes. That's... That is his credited name. Even yes. though they do mention what his real name is, I think it's John. It's John Maplethorpe, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he's he's Future Man, mainly. Because he, whenever he meets um, Mr. Henry, he yes. shakes his hand and says John Maplethorpe. Right. Yes, that's right. And that is the character played by Andrew Wilson, the yes. third Owen Wilson brother. But there's another character that shows up who... I'm not seeing it on the Wikipedia. Who has another funny name that I was like. Another member names. of the crew. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not recalling it right now either. I'm, I am going to look at a list of the cast on Wikipedia and maybe the character name will be there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those, those are the things. Because a lot of the other stuff that I feel like will come up with like certain shots and stuff. Oh, he loves music. He loves this music from like European slash English bands from like between the sixties and the seventies. Yes. Score. Yeah. That's one of the big things on my list is scoring the movie with pop music, uh, mainly British rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, especially the Rolling Stones. Um, and also I wanted to bring up, do you know who did the soundtrack for this movie? Um, he, uh, Mar- are you talking about Mark Mothersbaugh? Yes. Yes. What? What? What about Mark? Just, I just want to bring him up because Mark Mothersbaugh is, is from Devo. Um, oh, first. okay. First, 
But Mark uh-huh. Mothersbaugh is fucking everywhere. And Mark Mothersbaugh mm. is, you know how there's like a first person that you recognize when you're yes. a kid? Sure. That Mark Mothersbaugh was one of those people because my mom mm. pointed out to me that he did the Rugrats theme song. Oh, okay. And his name was always last before the the credits. It would, you know, it would be like Rugrats yeah. and then it would be like music by Mark Mothersbaugh. So I always had oh, his name in my head. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, and he also did the music for um, a lot of, he did at least four different Wes Anderson movies. He also did Life Aquatic, um, which we'll talk about because some of those names, some of those songs are just iconic specifically. Yeah. The music that he scores on this movie is not really memorable. I um, think I I think I read online that Mark Mothersbaugh has done the music for all of his live action films. That might be that might be true. Yeah. And that the only ones he hasn't worked on are Fantastic Mr. Fox and I Love Dogs, the two fully that animated makes sense. ones. Yeah, I was looking at his Wikipedia today, but it's so overwhelming because he like he did the music for Rocket Power. The fuck? Yeah, yeah. A show I hated, by the way. Really? Rowboat. Yeah. There's a character named Rowboat who's Rowboat, the Japanese right. man. Yes, yes. Good, good call. Oh, and we are going to talk about race later. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you can you can talk about that. Um, the uh, Yeah, the other collaborator that he has throughout like all of his films is the uh is the director of photography this guy i think his name is robert yauman mm-hmm. y-e-o-m-a-n yeah um so yeah he it really seems it seems like he's really i mean it's obvious if you look at the casts of his movies but it seems that also behind the camera he really like picks people and like sticks with them yes uh over and over again oh and the reason sorry the the, the other reason i wanted to bring up mark mothersbaugh is that He's definitely he definitely is sticking with Mark Mothersbaugh a lot, but I wanted mm-hmm. to bring that up because Mark Mothersbaugh is like twenty million times more than Wes Anderson. You know what I mean? Oh, like right. Wes Anderson I mean, should be so lucky that Mark Mothersbaugh ever looked yeah. him in the eye, you know? Right. And isn't <laughs> isn't that very often the case with, you know, composers and and people who are in like that kind of a role? I'm thinking of like even like voice actors too. Um, they're just like, oh wow, their their career yeah. is like enormous. It's yeah, like when you're so looking expansive. At like a Tara Strong or a um, mm-hmm. Phil Lamar or something like yeah, that. Yeah, right, right. That's that's true. I feel like, but but Mark- composers especially, it's like it's like yeah. you look at a composer's filmography and it's like uh, like every single time it's like I can't even believe that this list is so long and that the same person who did X also did Y, you yeah. know? Um, but not not to take anything away from Mark Mothersbaugh. That, no, I think I think that Mark Mothersbaugh in particular is particularly prolific, even compared to what you're speaking right. of. Okay. That's um, interesting. Yeah, I'm yeah. gonna I'm gonna be more aware of that in the future. That's good that's good for me to know. Yeah. <laughs> um so I so so to to review and also to expand on the style things that are there um the score the the rock and roll thing was a big one on my list the the title font um i don't think that you mentioned slow motion yet 
No, I didn't. Is there slow motion in? There is. There is. There's what like two shots of. Sl- I, I I don't. I think there were two instances, and I don't remember both. But I distinctly remember there's a shot of James Caan w- that is in slow motion, and James Caan plays Mr. Henry, which I want to. I want to get back to talking mm-hmm. more about that. But I think it's when when Mr. Caan. Uh, when Mr. Khan, when Mr. Henry, played by James Khan, is um, is there at when uh, Bob's house is being robbed oh, while yeah. they're all away, uh-huh. I think part of that is in slow motion. Oh yes, it is. He puts the cigar in his mouth. Yeah, um, and so the way the camera moves, there are some shots where you know the sort of not only panning but then panning back. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh, a uh, so, okay, I'm looking at a list on Wikipedia and I wanted to lean on this list specifically because there's an item on this list that I understand what it is, but I was not familiar with this word before. Oh, okay. Do you know the word knolling? No. It's K-N-O-L-L-I-N-G. Okay. And the context is in which it's used here is there's an, uh, ent- there's part of, Wes Anderson's Wikipedia page called Visual Style. And it says, Anderson has been noted for his extensive use of flat space camera moves, obsessively symmetrical compositions, mm-hmm. knolling, mm-hmm. s- snap zooms, slow motion walking shots, yes. a deliberately limited color palette, and handmade art direction often utilizing miniatures. And then Noling is a link to the Wikipedia page for Noling. Uh-huh. And this is how it's described. The term Noling was first used in 1987 by Andrew Cromolo, a janitor at Frank Gehry's furniture fabrication shop. <laughs> at the time, Gary was designing chairs for Knoll, a company known for Florence Knoll's angular furniture chrome low would arrange any displaced tools at right angles on all surfaces and called this routine knolling in that the tools were arranged in right angles similar to knoll furniture the result was an organized surface that allowed the user to see all objects at once wow okay so it's basically just like a niche fancy word for having everything arranged in right angles. Mm-hmm. And that I feel like is the thing that is like least seen in yeah. Rocket. There's there there are very few tableaus mm-hmm. uh in this movie. And there's very little of that like, oh, everything is just so, which is another way of saying that like everything's at, at a perfect right angle. Yeah. Yeah, and I think my favorite shot from the movie is the shot that is feels the most composed that way to me. Which is what? Do you want me to tell you? Yeah, I'm interested because I don't know if I have a favorite shot to share. So I'm interested I, in what yours is. Do you have um do you have um Google Drive open? I can. So open up the season Wes Anderson folder that I have in the Smug Buds folder, and I okay. took a screenshot of it. Okay, so I you can will. see. So my favorite, um, mm-hmm. my favorite scene. I'm looking at it now. Oh no, not my favorite scene. My favorite shot 
my favorite shot from the mm-hmm. movie, which is yeah. also one of my favorite scenes, but I did not pick it as my favorite favorite scene, mm-hmm. is the scene when they've left the hotel and the they are finding out the, the, the Alpha Romeo spider breaks down. Yes. And they're finding out that, um, you know, Owen Wilson is finding out. It's so hard for me to call them by their names. I just can't care. Mm-hmm. Um, Owen Wilson is finding out that Luke Wilson has given all of their stolen money from the bookstore to um, Inez. And they're having this fight on this curve of road that is curved in such a way that it almost feels like it's a circle. Uh Um, And the way that I think the reason I like the shot the most is because and there's a there's a couple of movements happening here that I think also work really well, um, Mm -hmm. not just screenshotted. But the cars in the distance broken down, you actually are getting some, like, color happening. Um, Part of, I think, the downside of the fact that this was shot in Texas, or at least this particular part of Texas, is that so much of the colors are this just, like, industrial white, gray, beige color palette. And here we have the green of the fields. Yeah. and then also, like, you, the way that you literally have, like, Luke Wilson standing, like, off the road and having Owen Wilson standing in the road. Right. Um, but on top of this, the way that Owen Wilson in this scene, and this is something that I think is very Wes Anderson in a really, really good way, which is that he'll set up a frame, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the frame of the literal screen but like he'll set up this frame where it's like okay we've got the road right Mm -hmm. and then he'll have one character stand still and another character sort of like move almost like um uh, what are those like a paddle ball Hmm. into and out from that particular character Mm -hmm. and so this happens in another scene with them too um but oh, it happens a couple of times in the movie. But this is the time where I think it's best. Where Owen Wilson is like furious, so he like walks away. He walks really close to Luke Wilson. He starts running towards the car. He comes back. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, this is my favorite shot in the movie. And because also I think it highlights this fight that they're having and mm-hmm. the the lie that we're telling ourselves that they're not brothers. I feel like totally dissolves. Right. Here. Yeah. <laughs> um. That's a. Very well-composed shot. I agree. Um, The scene where you were just describing Owen Wilson's movement, um, is it the scene I'm thinking of? I'm thinking of the scene where I think it's it's sort of brief, but they're at a gas station. Yes, that's the other time. Yeah. Right. That was the one time I I can't really, I'm, I'm... I'm not prepared to say that I have like a favorite shot from the movie at mm-hmm. this moment, but the the one remembering the movie, the one time I remember like being aware of the camera, like noticing mm-hmm. the the camera and the and the framing was when they were at the gas station and there's a moment where Owen Wilson like walks away from Luke Wilson and the camera follows Owen Wilson. Yeah. And then follows him back when he sort of comes back. Uh-huh. Um, and that's very Wes Anderson. And it, it was sort of, um, oh, it just sort of stood out from the rest, I guess. Yeah, because also in that scene, if I'm thinking of the same one, and if I'm not, then it's a very, very similar one. A couple of times, Owen Wilson leaves the the view of the camera and comes back into it, which that is another very, yeah. that is another very Wes Anderson thing to have, um, People entering and exiting in quick quick right. succession, sometimes is, the same person. <laughs> yeah, which is also a thing I, I remember talking about when, when I talked about Edgar Wright. Mm-hmm. I remember talking about how like 
something as simple as like something entering the shot from outside of it. Yeah. Will be a joke. Like something as simple, a choice as seemingly simple as that will deliver a laugh. Like the fact that like a hand holding a phone Mm -hmm. comes in from out of frame uh, rather than, you know, seeing the person holding the phone. Um, So, yeah, that's it's all it's all tied together. Um, What? Okay, where do we go from here? Should we talk about other favorites or should we talk about like what happens in this movie? Or let's should talk we talk about, a little bit more about the making of this movie? Let's talk about the structure of the movie. Okay. Because I have some thoughts. Okay. Do you mind if I talk for a while? Yeah, let's let, let's hear it. Two hours later. Um. So <laughs> I see this movie essentially having three... Okay. Um, there's the first act, which I think um, pretty much ends with the scene where they're back at um, at uh, Bob Maplethorpe's house after they've robbed the bookstore. Yeah. There's act two takes place entirely at the motel or right. almost entirely at the motel. Yeah. And then act three is... Um, and probably actually ends with that scene I was just talking about where, on the, where they're on the road. Right. And then the third act is when we've sort of moved forward and time. There's a, a bit of bit. a time jump. It's not clear how much time has passed, but it's enough time for Anthony to get into a new routine. Yes. A and really then, weird routine. Who let Luke Wilson be a children's soccer coach? Anyway. <laughs> um so, so yeah, people. I think that there are these three acts. And when Kenny and I rewatched this the first time, when it ended, he was like, I completely forgot about the third act of this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we mostly remembered, the thing we remember most about this movie is them being at the motel. Yeah, that kind of feels like it is the movie in a yes. weird way. But you get through the hotel part and there's like so much movie left. Yeah, and unfortunately also I would argue the 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 best stuff in the movie is after the motel. But this is another paradox is that yeah. like I simultaneously sort of hold in my head these two contradictory opinions that like the best scenes in the movie are post motel. Yeah. But also at the same time like the motel is the movie and it and it feels like that should be the whole thing in a weird yeah. way like that that's that's where it all sort of hangs yeah yeah exactly um because i think that if we're looking at this sort of like objectively the third act is the most west anderson of the whole movie mm-hmm. like if you're looking at it as a like a unit yeah um but the like emotional resonance that i care about like anything that's like interesting about these characters is in the second act right and is that because of the romance or is it because of the like breakdown of the friendship or or is it both i think it's both mm-hmm. um so just so you know i just i have i have the movie up right now and i just checked 
But that scene where they're on the road and they sort of get into a fight ends about 54 minutes into the movie and there's 37 minutes left. Yeah, it's it's a 90 minute movie, almost exactly. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think that the second act, I like, I think it's interesting because um, I think all of the characters are... Um, as in most of the Wes Anderson movies, like all of the characters sort of have something that makes them deeply unreasonable. Sure. <laughs> like, I don't want to just say that they're flawed. I mean, like they have something about them that just makes them uh, not really completely functional in society as we experience it. Uh-huh. And in this movie, Owen Wilson thinks that they should be, he's like the leader in thinking that they should be criminals. <laughs> Oh, and, and Wilson, Luke, yeah, Dignan, yeah, he's yeah. the he's the ringleader. And of Luke crime. Wilson is like, it, it, from the beginning, it's set up that he's going along with it, right? Pretty much. Well, yeah, exactly, because he's going. The first scene is him leaving the uh, what? What do they even call it? Do they call it a mental hospital? I can't. I think remember. they call it a mental hospital. He's leaving the mental hospital and and he he he's checking himself out, but he's going along with Dignan's escape plan and he's pretending like he's breaking out and he's yeah. doing it he's doing it for the sake of his friend. I will say actually that the part that actually makes me laugh the most in this movie is Owen Wilson hiding behind the bush and like constantly like putting down his binoculars and putting them back up to his face. Yes. <laughs> So, um, that first so, yeah, scene so, is pretty funny. So to see Luke Wilson just like helplessly fall in love with this person he barely can talk to, mm-hmm. um, and then also have Bob's character, you know, trying to bring some sense of reason to this group, which again is in and of itself unreasonable because it is based in being criminals. <laughs> right. Um, I think it's interesting because when they butt up against each other, they both are, they're all sort of just saying to each other, you're being unreasonable. And then the other people are saying, no, you're being unreasonable. Right. Yeah. I'm glad we're talking about it like this because I am sort of rereading the movie in my head the more I'm thinking about it because we're talking about it in this way. Uh, Prior to this conversation, I was prepared to come in and ask you like, does any character have like an arc in this movie or is it, mm. or is it just, or is it just lacking that or is it just stuff that happens? And I think now what I'm thinking is I think that I invested so little in caring about the friendship between Anthony and Dignan mm. that I didn't recognize an arc which is there which is about you know he as as anthony falls in love with inez Mm -hmm. he he the the attachment is strained between him and dignan yeah but it's hard for dignan to be like you should pick me because it's crime right the arc is whether, yeah, whether he's going to live the life that his friend wants him to live yeah, or whether he's going to fall in love and 
start presumably probably a normal life with uh a a romantic partner yes and and but but the thing is that like there's no good reason presented by the film why he couldn't try and do both the reason yeah. he, the reason he doesn't try to do both is just like it's kind of just like almost shakespearean like misadventure coincidence like you know it's just circumstance yeah that he doesn't that that anthony doesn't find out that inez said that he loves her she yeah. loves him i mean for example <laughs> mm-hmm. um so yeah so that's how i see that's that's sort of like I mean, I think this is my least favorite Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> I think it's mine too, and I think it's probably going to stay that way. But on my list, which I've decided the way I'm going to do it, you don't have to do it this way. My list is I'm going to add each movie to the list as we go. So yeah. right now, it is both my first and last place movie. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's it's the only one on the list, and so it's first and last and everything else. Yeah, um, Kenny's my le- my favorite and least mo- and least favorite husband. <laughs> right. Yeah. By default, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. I will. I I may or may not sort of play your game, but uh, uh, <laughs> as as Will takes a drag from a cigar, yeah, I'll I'll play your game. Um, no, but I I don't I don't want to give away what my rankings are going to be at the end of this whole exercise and so Mm -hmm. i prefer to say a little bit less about that as we go along but but that's not a problem now because as you say we're just talking about one film and Mm -hmm. one film only um but yeah with that perspective comparing all of them i agree it's it's my least favorite as well um can we talk about uh james Kahn for a moment yeah so um James Kahn plays Mr. Henry. Uh, he, he he's uh, which is a role and a and a performer that, uh, as they say on blank check, it it he gets the and right mm-hmm. at the end of the movie when you see the billing of the performers, it's and James Kahn, mm-hmm. and it's that type of a role, and he's that type of a performer. Um, James Kahn being in this movie. It, he's he's the veteran actor who is uh, lending his power to sort of legitimize the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is is somebody you've never heard of before, except for James Caan. It's sort of like uh, it's sort of like Alec Guinness uh, being in Star Wars. Yeah, right. It's like, and then oh. being pissed. Right, and then yeah. Luckily for James Caan, this movie was not Star Wars. Yes. Um, Far from it. But um, real quick, who is James Caan? Um, Dana watched this movie with me, and we saw James Caan in the movie. And Dana said, who is that actor? I recognize that actor. And I Mm -hmm. said, that's James Caan. And I said, you might remember... He was in the movie Thief. We watched the movie Thief. He was the thief and thief. That's 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 how I think of James Caan. Mm-hmm. She had no memory of watching Thief. 
she doesn't remember it. Um, I'm sure she watched it with me in the past like year or two. I watched Thief because of Blank Check with Griffin and David. They not long ago covered the filmmaker Michael Mann. And Thief was Michael Mann's best, uh, not best, first movie. And uh, so I watched it because they were covering it on the podcast. Good movie. I recommend it. Pretty cool. Um, and, uh, but Dana insisted that no, she didn't remember watching that movie. That wasn't why she recognized James Caan. <laughs> and in fact, she figured out why she recognized him. And do you know what she said? Do you know why? No, I'm looking at his filmography right now and I know what I recognize him from. Well, was I it from it. Elf? Yes. yes. <laughs> James Caan played the dad in Elf. Yes. Which is probably what most people our age uh, would know him from. Do you know the thing that I know him from? What's that? I'll give you a clue. It's something, it's a really sad movie and it's from like the 70s. I don't think I'm going to guess it. From from Brian's song? Oh, okay. Yeah, I've only heard of that. I watched that in the sixth grade. They played it for us. Hmm. Um, but then also when we watched Brian's song, I came home and I said to my mom, we watched Brian's song, and she said, oh, my God, <laughs> did you cry? And I was like, of course I cried. She was like, when I saw that movie, I cried, and then I bought the screenplay. Like, she bought the book version of the script with, wow. like, some additional materials before and after. So you're saying it was not a novelization. No. It, it was the, the screenplay printed in book form. Yes, with, I think, some, like, introduction. Yeah essay or something some special features yeah and she's like and then i read it and cried like my mom was mm -hmm. so moved by this movie that she was like i cannot wait to see it again wow i need to have a physical the physical copy that i have access to which is the a printed version of the script i have never heard of anyone doing that before <laughs> that's fascinating <laughs> i don't think that they really do it this way now like i feel like part of the reason they did that in the 70s was because you didn't then have access to movies right. in the same way. Right. Um, but yeah, she, she, I'll never forget that. She was so, she, when I said that I watched Brian's song, her face, she was like, oh. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he's a, he's a dude. He's like a big dude. Yes. Oh yeah. Big deal. And still James acting. Con. He has a movie coming out, TBA. And he is on Twitter. Really? Yes. Which is very important. I'm going to look up, uh, James Kahn on Twitter right now to give you an example of the kind of thing that he tweets. That is the wrong mm. James Kahn. Where is the real James Kahn? Am I like not getting his name right? It's, ah, there he is. James, his... un James underscore Kahn is oh. his uh, Twitter handle. And uh, he tweeted one day ago, as of this recording, I'm convinced the Angry Birds game cheats sometimes. <laughs> I cleared a level using only one bird and got one star. Shrugging guy emoji. Give me three stars. End of tweet. And that was not me saying end of tweet. Those are words in the tweet. It is how he ends all of his tweets. No. Yes. He has the space 
to write end of tweet here's one from uh like a week ago uh it's just an image of a movie poster for thief the movie i was just talking about and it and he writes proud of this one end of tweet you know what this reminds me of actually in a different way but in a way that feels like an old person just doing the same thing over and over again on on twitter yeah have you ever seen ringo Starr's twitter uh, I, I feel like I must have at some point. So if you want to find it, it's Ringo Star music really mm-hmm. quick. He sure. ends every single tweet with so many emojis. Oh, that's funny. Like sometimes the same ones, but not always. Okay. So recently oh, yeah. he's been ending it. It seems like with the sort of the same ones, but, um, peace sign star heart sunglasses face some musical notes and then an actual peace sign the first time i said peace it was the two fingers yeah and he oh he's gotten way more consistent with this now because he seems to have little patterns but like and it's like a rainbow too yeah he's like using incorporating like all the colors of the rainbow my mom will like also text me texts with like you know, way more emojis than are necess- than are necessary. And so every time I see a Ringo Star tweet, it feels like this feels like the same thing as end of tweet, except it's like here's, here's a, a little ri- bit more delightful. Here's a Ringo Star tweet uh from July twenty-fifth. There's an image which he clear is clearly a photograph that he took of his television screen. Yes. Yes. And it's the news and it's not cropped very well or framed very well but it's about regis and it says regis philbin dies at 88 and ringo star wrote god bless period regis period <laughs> peace and love to all his family and then smiley face with sunglasses the peace fingers star heart peace sign which yeah all of that is appropriate except for the smiley face with sunglasses, <laughs> which is not an appropriate way to memorialize someone. Also, so many of his tweets, he just says peace and love. Oh, well, that's his catchphrase. Yeah, but I yeah. just mean like peace and love to his family feels like kind of cheap Right. <laughs> when you oh, know he oh, puts oh, that right. in a lot knowing, of his tweets. Knowing, yeah, knowing, yeah, it's his catchphrase. That's funny. Um, um, so we were talking about James Conn. Yes. Who is... Uh, my favorite performance in the movie. And uh, he's the reason why my favorite scene in the movie is my favorite scene, which is the scene in the country club. Mm-hmm. My favorite part of this movie is when Future Man and his buddy approach the table where they're dining at the country club and Future Man starts, you know, busting Bob's balls. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mr. Henry uh, stands up for him, introduces himself, and then puts him in this like <laughs> hand twist. Yeah. And he's like, you're going to lose everything and I'm going to be laughing. And then he just laughs maniacally. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my favorite scene in the movie. Can I say that... Um. He has another tweet from August 28th that James just Con says, or, James Kahn, yeah. yeah. that says, I spend too much time playing a- Angry Birds, end of tweet. 
Oh, man. So, how, um, how long do you think he's been playing it? Oh, like, my God. Maybe like a few weeks. If Maybe a is... few weeks or maybe he's been playing it for the past like 10 years. Decade. <laughs> since it was popular, whenever that was. So I want to do, do you have something else else to say here? Because I want to talk about my favorite performance and scene and also something else that's long. Yeah, you talk about another one of your favorites and then I'll talk about another one of mine. So my favorite performance is Inez. Okay. Um, and she, uh, so Inez is played by a woman named Lumi uh, Cavazos. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a Mexican actress and she's been in a bunch of other stuff. She hasn't acted recently that I can tell from Wikipedia. Um, but which is to say like, uh, they got some, like when she was in Bottle Rocket, she had been in many films before, like she had been, mm-hmm. but they're all, um, Spanish language films. Okay. And my favorite scene is the scene where, um, they're having the party in the hotel room. Mm-hmm. And... My it's my favorite scene because did you notice this is probably the most detailed any of these scenes get. Uh-huh. There are small streamers that have been hung from the lampshades. Uh-huh. Um there's like a little um okay, so first off, somehow Luke Wilson has acquired a blender. Right. He's making like margaritas or like frozen margaritas or something. Yeah, he's making like frozen margaritas, which like where did he get a blender? Right. Um, Not a normal thing for a motel to have. Yeah. A motel Um, room, I mean. Everyone's sitting on the bed and, um, like, having a great time. Yeah. Um, There's, like, other party stuff. I'm trying to to bring it up in the movie. But this, this, I love this scene so much because it reminds me of just, like, when y'all... Uh, are at AWP with me mm-hmm. and we're tr- we're like we're gonna go back to the hotel room and then like it's right. just a fucking hotel room <laughs> right right but also the fact that everyone's like yeah we're here to party but it's like you know they're just in their work clothes oh they have party hats that's the other thing oh, I yeah, knew there yeah. was more detail they have party hats for some reason <laughs> right yeah I didn't think too much of that scene but I will say what I did register was funny about it was that um, it comes almost out of nowhere. Yeah. What, what's funny about it is that other than Inez, you've never seen any of these other people prior yeah. to cutting into the party. Yeah. And prior to that, it seemed like it, it was not clear to me that Inez and Anthony were like getting on really well. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. So yeah. it's like a funny surprise to be like, oh, now he's like partying with either her family or her and her coworkers or both. There's there's also a couple of um like bottled Mexican sodas on the mm. like table, which is the mm-hmm. other funny thing because like they're not even drinking. They're oh, just yeah. drinking like, you know, he made those margaritas. So hypothetically, there's alcohol in there. But like otherwise, there's just like soda. Right. Um, yeah. But the... The reason that I picked this scene and also Inez as my favorite performance is because um, so much of Inez's acting is her having to react to this person who's speaking to her that she can't really understand. Mm -hmm. And her ability to just, like, convey with her face 
like her like confusion slash also her like horror slash also her delight yeah like intrigue as well yeah is um i think actually really remarkable (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely um and then the thing i wanted to bring up is we're gonna we're gonna end up because of me talking about race a lot with wes anderson Mm -hmm. and inez is you know much like um much like a lot of other things, there's like seeds of them in this movie that show up throughout. Inez mm-hmm. is a perfect example of a seed, mm-hmm. which is how is Wes Anderson going to deal with race? Because Wes Anderson is just like, you know, I feel like people, one of the ways people make fun of these movies is that they just feel very like white. Yes. And pretentious. Yes. He and his ilk, right? Him, mm-hmm. Noah Baumbach, uh, I feel like Greta Gerwig I feel like I more than anyone I've I've seen people ragging on Greta Gerwig for like what if what if Greta Gerwig like met a person of color would she <laughs> would she faint <laughs> like like that sort of joke Um yeah and so what's happening here that I want to point out is Owen Wilson is having a character that can't actually speak English and he's not translating anything they're saying unless he provides an in-movie reason for that translation to happen, which in this case is the dishwasher boy who's we first meet in the scene, I think, but then shows up throughout later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like he sort of pokes fun at the ignorance of his white characters for not knowing. Yeah. Like there's that moment where he's like, what? Luke Wilson's like, what part of Mexico are you from? And she's like, Paraguay. Right. <laughs> and then he like clearly like doesn't really know where that is. Right. Um, But it's always like supposed to be kind of cute. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not it's not like a problem. It's just like it's it's played for comedy. Yeah. I, I have an article. um. That from 2007, um, that was on Slate that we'll put in the show notes. Um, this author, Jonah Weiner, talks about a lot of the movies up until 2007. But when he speaks about um, Bottle Rocket specifically, um, he says, oh, sorry, this, it's doing that thing where like ads are loading and then disappearing. So it's like moving up and down. Mm-hmm. Um He says, so he brings up the fact that Inez is a direct precursor to Rita from the Darjeeling Limited, Mm -hmm. which we'll talk about when we talk about that. Um, And he says, and the writer says, helping this obsession is along the fact that Inez can barely speak English, making her a convenient projecting screen for Anthony's fantasy about purity, fantasies about purity and true love. Um, And so... I think that that I've, – I've been trying to read some articles about Wes Anderson and race um, to bring those voices into this conversation that we're having. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the consensus for most of the people are like – basically like, ah, Wes Anderson just kind of uses people of color as set dressing. <laughs> yeah. And it's, yeah. he's never like racist for the most part, but he um, is using them – as part of the world 
but the but part of the world that is um like you know how he has these like really intense color schemes in mm-hmm. most of his movies mm-hmm. um they're like part of those color schemes mm-hmm. part um, part of the setting yeah rather than like true characters and then also in this movie we get somebody that he collaborates with a lot um kumar yep um palana mm-hmm. who shows up in a couple of other movies and he has actually died did you know this yeah uh, i think i did he died in um 2013 he was 94 well wow. <laughs> which is to say he's also old in this right right um but yeah so he's going to show up a lot and he's um very often a character that does not talk he actually has some yeah. lines in this but or well, when he does talk it's like very limited can I can I use that? You can keep going if you have more to say. But no, I, I just I, I I bring this up more as a again like this is the first time it happens. We're going to be talking about it later. Um, but I I'm just setting the scene for the rest of the season. Go ahead. I want to use that as a transition to talk about my next favorite that I was going to talk about. Yes, which which is my favorite joke in this movie. Oh, please. So, so I already told you what my favorite scene was, but mm-hmm. um, another sort of paradox is um, that simultaneously, I have to acknowledge that, in my opinion, the the best scene in the movie is the last caper. Yes. The the actually that reminds me, I do have a favorite shot. Hmm. My favorite shot is from the caper when they enter the building and they use the uh, the first time they use the elevator. Oh, okay. My favorite shot is when the camera is in the elevator and Owen Wilson says, I'm going to take the stairs. And you can hear him on the walkie-talkie when you can't see him. And then you realize it's it's one flight of stairs and they're together again almost immediately. <laughs> That that use of camera and what's off screen and what's on screen and that sort of continuousness and the that's my favorite shot in the movie. Okay. The 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 caper scene is is the, the this is the cold storage heist, right? Yes. And this is the best scene because it's it's the funniest and it and and it has the most you know chaotic energy and the most stuff going on in it. Mm-hmm. And my favorite joke in the movie is when um, they're trying to escape and they're taking the elevator and they just found Kumar in, in the freezer. Yes. And yeah. and they're yelling at him, why did we find you in the freezer? And Kumar is saying, I don't know, I don't know. And he says, I lost my touch. <laughs> yeah. And then Owen Wilson says, did you ever have a touch to lose? <laughs> That's the biggest laugh in this in this movie is uh, that whole scene. That whole it's more it's it's even more than a scene. It's like a sequence, right? Yes. That whole sequence is the most successful, most comedic part of the movie, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, and that that particular moment is the is the funniest. And it's and it's because of of Kumar. It's mainly because of Kumar. Yeah, which which I just want to say too, like the weird the weird thing I put in quotes about race with Wes Anderson is he does end up having 
quite a few people of color in his movies, right. especially compared to what he could have, which, right. you know, in many movies is just zero, right? Yes. So the mm -hmm. bar's low. I'm not saying that the bar's not low. Right. But he could have none, and he ends up having some. Um, clearly, Kumar liked Wes Anderson because he kept working with him, right? Right. Um, and I think that all of the acting that they do is always, um, you know, the people of color in his movies are al is always really good and really funny and really sharp. Right. Um, and it's clear that all of those actors really like Wes Anderson. Talking about Kumar and these people, not the famous actors that he keeps working with over and over again, but, mm -hmm. but the people like Kumar who are in this movie might make a fine transition into talking more about like how and why this movie was made. Yes, which I and, don't know much about. So please. Well, so basically earlier this morning, so so my research <laughs> my my research yesterday my research <coughs> yesterday was reading the Wikipedia entry for Wes Anderson yes. and for this movie. And my research this morning was to Google uh Wes Anderson interview bottle rocket just to see if I could mm. read anything that Wes Anderson said about this movie that might be interesting. And what I wound up finding was not an interview to read, but a bunch of video clips on YouTube. Mm. And one of them was like a making of featurette. And basically what you can learn from that is that um, Kumar and several other people in the movie are in the movie just because they were around the places where Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson were hanging out <laughs> in, in Dallas. Uh -huh. Like Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson would like go to this one cafe to write and like the regulars there just like they put them in the movie because mm -hmm. they filmed the movie in Texas. Yeah. So like the other guy besides Kumar, the other guy who you see interview clips with in this making of featurette is barely in the movie, but it's the guy who um, sells them guns. Yeah. And he's another guy who was like, I think he might even be like the proprietor of that cafe or he's just like a regular there or something yeah. like that. So, so there were it, like, everybody's heard of like, you know, filmmakers doing it themselves and like putting their friends in a movie. Mm -hmm. But this is like a couple layers deeper than that because it's like their friends are not their peers necessarily, but just like Just local, like people they the, ran into a lot. The locals who they yeah. befriended, right? And also the other thing that has to be mentioned that is that is nowadays strange about this movie Mm -hmm. is that it's not just the indie college guys doing it themselves. It's it's a Hollywood movie. It was yes. it was made in the Hollywood system mm -hmm. because because their short film was, you know, a, a little Sundance darling. And so the people who came in to help them make this movie one of them is uh James L Brooks. Do you know this uh name, James L Brooks? Uh, no. In in addition to being a Columbia picture, uh, Bottle Rocket is a Gracie Films production. Mm -hmm. And if any, and if you know the name Gracie Films, 
you probably know it from watching The Simpsons. Mm. Do 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 do, and, and the guy who goes shh right in the movie oh, yeah. theater, uh-huh. you know that production card where it's like silhouette movie theater blue screen. It says Gracie Films, yes, and that little tune plays, and the guy goes shh. Um, that's James L. Brooks's uh, production company. He he basically started The Simpsons. Mm. because you do you know the history the part of the history of the simpsons that it was a short on yes. another show called the treat so james l brooks was a producer on the tracy ullman show mm-hmm. he brought in matt Groening based on matt Groening's comic strip life in hell and he, he so he brought matt Groening in like will you do animated shorts for the tracy ullman show and basically launched the simpsons yeah James L. Brooks is also a director um, uh, and uh, one that they have covered on Blank Check. You can listen to their James L. Brooks uh, miniseries. And he's the director of uh, Terms of Endearment, Broadcast News, As Good As It Gets, Mm. Spanglish, and a few other increasingly... Uh, bad movies <laughs> as, uh, as his career went on. So, um, yeah, the, the other takeaway that I had from watching this making of featurette was um, it kind of makes Wes Anderson and it kind of makes young that at the time, the Wes Anderson and the Owen Wilson who made this movie, it like, kind of makes them seem like assholes. <laughs> 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 like it's it's a, it's it's actually really bizarre. I don't know if I've had this experience before to watch a making of featurette about a movie that was not successful and that people don't have fond memories of. Uh-huh. Um and uh so the, 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 the continuing the part of the conversation where I said this is a Hollywood movie. Yeah. The budget of, of this movie was $5 million. Mm-hmm. It made at the box office about half a million dollars. Ooh. It was a bad bomb. And you can read uh, and you can hear him say that uh, after this movie did so badly, uh, Owen Wilson considered uh, joining the Marines. <laughs> it was, it he was had the a, haircut for it. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of ties into the movie in that way. Um, it, uh, yeah, it was a moment of despair uh, for for all involved. Uh, that one of the the real uh, n- knives in the back was um, that the feature was not accepted by Sundance. Mm. Yeah, so that was like a bad progression to go from mm-hmm. the short film being at Sundance and then the feature film not making it in. Um, and, uh, there, there's some delightful stories that you can hear Wes Anderson tell and, and others chime in on this as well about like the comment cards that they got from test screenings of the movie and just how, how poorly it was received by, by audiences, you know, writing down on their comment cards that like this movie sucked, this is shit, you know, favorite part, none, yada, yada, yada. But that was like the audience reaction, right? Which was to not accept this movie. But the critical response was different. And it was like, it was overall more well-liked uh, 
by critics um, than it was by audiences. Better critical reception uh, than an audience reception. Did you and see about I'll, Martin Scorsese? Yeah, he 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 called this one of his favorite movies of the nineties. The 90s. 1990s. Yeah, of the yeah. decade. Yeah. That's in like everything that I read about this movie. It's like on the Wikipedia and in the yeah. trivia and stuff. So the other research that I did uh, that I think I'm, I'm going to continue to do is um, I looked at the trivia. Do you ever look at the trivia on IMDb when you watch a movie? No, I don't think I knew that. Was it like it's, a part of IMDb? It's often not a very rewarding experience because uh-huh. um, I – have to believe and assume that it's it's user submitted and not very curated. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the trivia is not very good. It's not very interesting. A lot of it is very repetitive. It's just like barf of information. Mm-hmm. But sometimes there's a gem in there. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to point out my favorite uh, piece of trivia according to IMDb uh, for this movie. And it has to do with, you know, we've already talked about the fact that this is the debut, not only for Wes, but for Luke and Owen Wilson, right? It's their first feature. And so IMDb says, it says, when Anthony shows Dignan his sketchbook, this is the first time on film that Owen Wilson says, wow. Oh my God. Do you remember when he shows him the flip book? Yeah. That's a very charming little part of the movie where he's just, uh, Anthony's just made a flip book and Dignan is delighted by it. And he goes, oh, wow. Yeah, look at that. (laughs) That sort of thing. Oh, my God. So what have we left on the table? What Um, have we talked about? I have needle drops that I want to talk about. Yeah, okay, yeah, let's talk needle drops. So my first favorite needle drop, or I have I have a needle drop and I have something else. Okay. Um so my favorite needle drop is uh and I wrote down the time and the picture, but it's after they're leaving um the gas station mm-hmm. and it's the song um Zorro is back by Oliver Onions. Okay. And it's when um Owen Wilson is like shooting the bottle rockets out of the car. Yeah. I just feel like I really liked that one most because um uh it's like the it's like the title of the movie, yes. right? So it it feels really good. Like the song feels really good. It feels like it's working really well with what's on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're getting some like uh interesting um things happening. You know, it's not like the same palette that we're used to because we're getting right. some green again. Right. Um, everyone's like really excited because they're on the lamb. Yeah. I have a reverse needle drop. Interesting. So. Oh wait, I th- oh I know. Okay, I know what you mean. Yeah. So at 49.35 um, or thereabouts, um, the song is playing and it's called, 
over and done with by the proclaimers. Yep. And what's happening is, you know, they're, um, you know, feeling feeling a little downtrodden and uh, they're going to be, you know, getting out of here and, and leaving the hotel and they're mm-hmm. they're trying to steal a car. And, you know, this the song starts playing and then Inez shuts off her radio. Right. Um, Fun. And with- because. Yeah, because the lyrics are over and done with. It's over Very and good. done with. Yes. And it's it's fun with diegesis, right? Yes. Because that was supposed to be scoring the movie, and then it's as if the 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 song had a, a diegetic source when it stops yes. when she turns off her radio. So yeah, that's, that's a good my, moment. Yeah. That's my favorite. Actually, and I actually like think the reverse needle drop is more favorite to me than the other one, but I wanted to have yeah. a true needle drop for you. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. That's 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 good to bring to the table. And that and I'm glad you pointed out that radio moment because that is sort of like a fun, you know, filmmaker's trick kind mm-hmm. of a moment. That uh yeah, it's it stands out for for being uh for being tricky. Mm-hmm. I guess if I want to talk about anything else I can think of right now, it's sort of, it's about like how the romance starts between Anthony and Inez. Mm -hmm. And that was probably the part. So, so like the things in this movie that sort of turned me off were like the character Dignan as played by Owen Wilson is like a good comedy character who is funny in his way for a while, but then it kind of got sort of grating being with Mm -hmm. him for the whole movie. Yeah. And the other thing that turned me off more so was that the beginning of the romance between Anthony and, and Inez, it, it, it crosses a line for me. Like beyond like charming and it's like played for comedy that like he's as, you know, infatuated and also as ignorant as he is. It crosses a line into like predatory. Oh, yeah. it uh, Yeah, for sure. That I I am on the fence about whether the movie... Uh, wants me to be charmed and uh, follow what's happening eagerly or mm-hmm. or whether it wants me to like have complicated feelings about it or like whether it's just like pure comedy and like it's just, you know, well, whatever's funny, we'll, we'll do that. And so it's like yeah. funny that like he asks if he can like keep the picture in her locket. Yeah. Um, which is like funny in theory, but it's like it's, it's funny for like a psychopathic character to do that. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Especially because she's like, it's my sister. Right. And he's and like, he's like it looks just like you. And he like holds it up the tiny little picture up to her face. And that's like a funny shot, right? That's funny. Mm-hmm. That's physically funny. But like him at, at still asking if he can keep it. And to me, in my reading, he doesn't play it like he doesn't play it like he feels awkward. And so like, he's, he's just asking if he can keep it because like, 
he feels awkward that he asked. Mm-hmm. Like he feels like he's playing it <laughs> genuine. And it's supposed to be funny, but as I said, it's like something only a, a psychopath would do. And like, yeah, I, and and I and I don't think that that's supposed to be. I don't think that's in line with the character. Otherwise, um, he just seems like so. Um, like he just has literally no. It's like he has no idea how to interact with humans. Yeah, which I has not my- been the case otherwise in the movie. I guess my reading of it is that it's supposed to be written like he's so infatuated with her. Yeah. That that like all all his like boundaries are broken down. Mm-hmm. And so he'll behave in this like really embarrassing way. Yeah. Um but as as I said that that reads as like uh like predatory mm-hmm. until until I understood that like she was intrigued by him that she was starting to flirt back that you know blah 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 but at the beginning the only thing that makes it seem not so terrible is like she never gives any indication and then she does give like a positive consent indication later but like yeah she never gives any indication that she's like not into it (laughs) yeah or afraid yes that's true yeah afraid is true there is there there is the part where she goes in to clean someone else's room and she's like, you wait here, and then he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, that's also like crossing a line. I absolutely know why Wes Anderson put that scene in, though, because I can see in his brain him being like, okay, so the baseline is that he's following her around and trying to talk to her. And then the next baseline is that he's actually going into the rooms. And so, like, right. how do you it's push heightening. this to the furthest extreme? Yeah, it's like somebody is in the room that is actually still there. <laughs> right, right. Yes. And that's, and it's, it's in a, in a comedy, like for a comedy, and this is a comedy, mm-hmm. like that's good heightening. And like there is comedy in that. But also at the same time, <laughs> yeah, it's no, like, totally. It's like there's another, I'm going to keep, using the word paradox, whether it truly applies or not. Uh-huh. There's sort of a paradox that I perceive where like, as as stylized as these movies are, uh-huh. I simultaneously get the sense that they are like supposed to be grounded. Mm-hmm. Like it's supposed to matter like what the characters do. And like and like who they are and like mm-hmm. actions have consequences. It's not, you know, it's not anchor man, it's not any it's not an anything goes type of comedy where yeah. like we're just gonna do whatever because it's funny and And like eventually and, all of these characters and all of these movies like run out of money is the other thing. Sure. Yeah. That's yeah. Ooh, that's another trope. That's Running a, out of money. That's a good trope. Um, yeah, I'm I'm glad you're picking up on more of these than than I have. Um, what my 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 yeah my point was, where even even if it's not you know a simulacrum of the real world as we know mm-hmm. it, we're supposed to be like we're supposed to be grounded in the characters mm-hmm. and. Uh, and and it's it, it, it they 
they can't get away with just doing anything and yeah. and 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 it's and it's all just for laughs mm-hmm. it is a comedy and most of most of it is for laughs mm-hmm. but at but at the same time the characters are supposed to be real yeah um and it's and and that and that that the the reason I'm talking about this is because that sort of grounding rubs up awkwardly against some of the things that Luke Wilson's character does that I think were written for good laughs, mm-hmm. but they suggest like weird predatory behavior or or, yeah. cro- or crossing a line and the line uh, well, on like a script level the line is crossed for comedy because it's funny mm-hmm. but like on a character level it's like i don't think Ooh. i can follow you down this road yeah if this is supposed to be like a real romance and like this the character is supposed to be like basically a, a good guy mm-hmm. no so that's I, that's my piece on that i have Two more things I want to mention. Yeah. One is a throwaway, and I'll just mention it quick, which is that at one point you can see how much gas cost. Yes. Dana, Dana pointed that out. Dana pointed out that exact thing. 105 for unleaded, $1 for diesel. Yep. Uh, Wild. Actually, I I gas is around $2 here right now, and there was a time where I never thought I would pay that amount of money for gas. Right. Because it was more expensive than that when I got my license. Yeah. Um, and then in grad school, it was like four. That was grad school is when it was like four dollars a gallon. Yeah. Um, so that was always fun to see. The other trope I want to bring up that happens is the sense. There's a sense of t- the way time happens in these movies. Mm. Feels like people can just sort of exist in these in specific states for sort of a long time Hmm. um so in this movie it comes up when you know you said like there's some jump in time and we're not sure how long it is right um when when dignan finds anthony again he says uh he's like hey and he's like oh hey and then anthony says how long have you been back and Dignan's response is, oh, a while. Yeah. And that reminded me so much in both tone and, like, the inability to actually just answer the question. Mm-hmm. As to in the Hotel Chevalier, when Natalie Portman says, how long have you been here? Um, Jason Schwartzman doesn't answer. And she just says, more than a week. And he responds by repeating her and says more than a week. And she says more than a month. And he responds more than a month. But but we do not actually ever know how long he's been there. Right. Because it it doesn't matter. Like, and... Yeah. And it's... Basically, it's like... The vague version of it is what matters to the story. Right. And, And there's... And there's something about the fact that it's not only a story, but it's a story in the film medium mm-hmm. that makes that not only possible, but it it makes it it makes it like 
not expected because it's not what we've come to expect. We've come to expect like exact measurements of time and understanding the language of cinema and like what it means mm-hmm. to cut from one scene to another. And, and, it, but it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, per, it's permitted. Yeah. And, and the, the reason I have thought about this so much is because in addition to starting this Wes Anderson exercise, um, we just watched several Charlie Kaufman movies mm. because the new Charlie Kaufman just came out on Netflix, which is the movie I'm thinking of ending things. Okay. And so before that was released, we in this house, we watched Being John Malkovich. Mm. And then we watched Synecdoche, New York. Mm-hmm. And then we watched the new movie and then we rewatched uh, Eternal Sunshine. Mm. Um, and I had seen obvious, uh, uh, I just said rewatched. Obviously, I'd seen Eternal Sunshine. I've seen it lots of times. Yeah. I, I had also seen Synecdoche and Malkovich before, but uh, Dana had not. And Yeah, I've not seen them. Um, Charlie Kaufman is, you know, an outstanding writer and now director as well. And um, he, uh, writes really thought-provoking movies and so we have talked about his movies as we watch them more than most movies that we've watched they've inspired these conversations and the thing that i've really gotten hung up on is the like way that time passes in his movies Mm. and the way that he he's deliberately like he's using simultaneously he's using the language of cinema and like our expectations for Mm -hmm. the language of cinema and subverting those expectations and showing us like what is possible and how disorienting it can be but for a purpose not just for the sake of disorienting the audience and having a little fun but because it's like it's part of his whole sort of view on life yeah and so synecdoche new york is the is the clearest example you see the characters age a lot from the beginning Mm. to the end of the movie and many years go by but before that really kicks in there's a part of the movie where uh somebody says to philip seymour hoffman's character about his wife and daughter um, they, they, at some point they leave, they go on a trip to Europe and, um, he's waiting for them to come back. And this, and this woman who wants to have basically have an affair with him is like, <laughs> it says they've been gone for a year. And Philip Seymour Hoffman says, it's been a week. Oh, wow. And, and, and what's, what's fun and interesting about that. Uh-huh. Is that as the viewer, you have no idea which which one is right. Yeah. And, this, and the thing is that like in a literal sense, like neither is right. Mm-hmm. It's a movie. Yeah. Like and and that's that's the sort of like meta textual thing that's going on mm-hmm. is that. It, it's not it's not important 
because it is a movie and it's all trickery. It's all, mm-hmm. you know, a cut is, you know, editing is, is, is all, you know, it tricks the brain mm-hmm. into thinking that like one thing comes before, you know, after the previous one and it's implied that this much time has passed and blah, blah, blah. But really it's, it's all, it's, it's a movie. It's all tricks. It all happens in like, you know, 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And so to, to, to play with our perception of time in a story that way, it's sort of unique to this medium. And it's sort of, it's not only possible to do that, but it's, it, it's useful is, is, mm-hmm. uh, is, is before I was saying like it's permitted or whatever. What I mean to say is that like, it's useful to do that because mm-hmm. you can tell a story where it's kind of like, there's, there's a greater mystery or there's, a greater disorientation or a disconnect or like, yeah. How long has he been in that hotel room? Like it's like literally like forever Mm -hmm. because it's a movie and that's the only place that we've seen him. Mm -hmm. So how long has it been? Well, you know, it's like a metaphor. It's like the film itself is like a metaphor for like, well, it's been a long time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. So yeah, that, th- that is kind of in this movie because it it's kind of like it's kind of unimportant how long that time gap is. Mhm. Um it's just okay, oh, he's got a routine and it's like it's it's more comedy. It's like it's kind of funny that like mm-hmm. he becomes a soccer coach that he and Bob have three jobs. They have like a morning job, an afternoon job, and a yeah. night job. Yeah. And it's like, okay, you got all this. And like maybe an easier joke would have been like, when did you get, like how long has it been? Oh, it's been a few weeks. Like that would be mm-hmm. like a, like all this happened in a few weeks. But instead it's like, it's sort of vague on purpose because it's like, well, it's it's a movie. It it just, it, it, it all happens in a few minutes, which yeah. is a, like well, a metaphor for whatever. And I think too, I think too, part of the reason I brought this up was because these characters very often in his movies are um, sort of stuck. Like I I was saying how like they, they're all unreasonable in their own ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I feel like having time just sort of be able to sort of like almost float, like how a, like how the Mm. summer when I was in an elementary school just felt it just felt like I was floating in summer. Right. Like it was amorphous. Yes. Um, and, yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up because like how it relates to how you felt and your experience, like it's going to be true in, in Wes Anderson, but but I've, I've been really focused on the Charlie Kaufman movies and how mm-hmm. it's like, okay, everything's like, there's a lot of like heightened stuff. There's a lot of like absurd stuff. There's a lot of impossible stuff. And all of that is because literally that may not be what happens to you in real life, but it conjures like that is how it feels. Mm-hmm. Like it feels like a, like some, you know, X that happened in the past happened a week ago or a year ago. And it's mm-hmm. and it's this and it's the same. 
Can we – do you have anything else? Because I have a really great anecdote that we could end on that's yeah, let's, let's, semi-related let's, to this. Let's, uh, let me just say I made a rookie mistake of putting ice in my drink. And I apologize because that's definitely <laughs> – the ice is definitely noisy. So I'm sorry. I won't make that mistake again. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yes, please, let's, clo- let's go ahead and close with your, your anecdote. So are you familiar with the people that can remember – Every day of their life, basically. Sure. Mm-hmm. There's like a hundred of them. In the, there's not very many of them in general. There's like a hundred of them in the United States. And mm-hmm. there's a name for it that I can't remember. But the idea with these people is that um, if you say to them, hey, what did you have for lunch on um, December 3rd, 1984? Right. They'll be like, I didn't eat lunch that day because. And then, you know what I mean? Like they will be able to tell you every single detail. Right. My coworker told this to me that, you know, these, because there's only a hundred of these people, they're just being studied constantly, right? right? Yeah, of course. So with quarantine, they are losing their ability to do that. Huh. Which makes me feel deeply fucked up. Sure. (laughs) Because the reason that they have lost their ability to do this is because to form memories, you need to have markers. Mm -hmm. And, um... They have lost their their markers because mm-hmm. the days are so similar to one another. Right. Um, and so, you know, which is also to say that, like, you know, people make jokes about how it, it's like March, um, like, 181. Oh, right. Yeah. And we we making we make jokes about how you know two, twenty million years ago we started quarantine and and. I think that I bring this up because um, those people are having an actual experience of that as well that's being mm-hmm. documented. We're having this experience, and then these movies that we're watching are going to have elements of that experience. Yeah, right. Um, and uh, that's fine. I think that's fine. Oh, and the thing that I will that I will really, really end with is as much as it makes me really feel really fucked up that they can't remember everything anymore – Apparently, some of them have actually been kind of happy about it because remembering everything is actually really stressful. Yeah, right. I understand that it's, yeah, a curse. Uh, Mm -hmm. That that makes sense. Well, I'm happy for them then. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that that gives us something interesting to look for uh, Mm -hmm. as we uh, watch more of these movies. And uh, yeah, we'll... Uh, an interesting sort of thread that we can pick up in later conversations. Yeah. Which will feel like past conversations all <laughs> happening simultaneously. Yeah. I'm excited to get into the, I'm excited to talk about Rushmore because Rushmore was the movie that I had never I know, seen. I know, yeah. We, I, well, there were actually two. It was that and Isle of Dogs, but Rushmore mm-hmm. I had no concept of at all. Right. Yeah. No, that's a very interesting way to start off with these back-to-back you know, it's in this one's brand new to me, and the next one was brand new to you. So, yeah, um, yeah, we'll see you next week, our goslings. And oh, also, I keep forgetting to say this: if you have questions, comments, concerns, thoughts, please email us at smugbuds at gmail dot com. S m u g b u d s, not smug at goods. Gmail dot com. <laughs> Bye, Will. Bye, Liz. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngestofone, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. 
you can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram.